so I want you to imagine that tonight after service, um, you are heading out to dinner with some friends or your family, and your, your server is taking your order, and she's kind of listening to the banter going on, and she figures out that you have just come from a church service. And, and the, her curiosity just kind of hits a, a, a maximum level, and, and she just got done taking your order, and she turns to you and she goes, okay, I've got a question. Why do you believe that God exists? What proof do you have that there is a God? How would you answer that question? What are some things that you would say? It's a simple question, but it can really be a challenging question, especially for, for those of us who have you know, been followers of Jesus for a while. Um, maybe we just have stopped thinking about that. Like, it's just something that we know, we believe. We don't have any doubt about it. And we know why we believe, but we don't really know how we would turn around and, and, and share with somebody else why they should believe too. For some of us, maybe it's been a while since we have taken a step back and really thought about why we believe what we believe. And, and so as we continue in the second week of our series called Room for Doubt, we're going to be exploring... Um, some answers to this question, why do we believe in God? Why does it make sense that other people should believe in God as well? And in the process, I hope that, that not only do we kind of feel a little bit more affirmed in our faith and why we believe what we believe about God, uh, but we might be able to take some tools and, and those people in our life, maybe our one life, maybe a family member that is far from God and, and struggles with, with some of these things, struggles with doubt as a skeptic, that we might be able to, to have a loving conversation with them and talk a little bit more boldly about why we believe what we believe about the existence of God. So it's a pretty heady subject that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, I, I pray that um, it's not too boring, that you guys are just as excited about this kind of stuff as, as I get. And, uh, and so I want to pray for us tonight just that we can have open hearts and minds uh, to what hopefully the Lord wants to teach us this evening. Father, uh, my prayer is that, uh, that you will just make yourself more known to us this evening. Um, we're going to be talking about some pretty heady stuff tonight. Uh, things that, that make some of us um, want to run around because we get so excited that there is evidence behind our faith. And, and yet it's also things that I know for some of us it's going to make us want to go and take a nap. And so I just pray that you'll help us process through all of this stuff and that our faith in you um, will be stronger on the other side as a result of us being here tonight. And so would you please speak through me and open our hearts this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe that we are living in a world that is becoming um, more and more skeptical about a belief in, in God. Uh, and, and really, as they become more and more skeptical about belief in, in God, they're also demanding more of a reason for why we believe in God. It's not just like, okay, yeah, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, but, but they're asking more questions. Why do you believe in God? And many of you, our faith is just kind of some kind of like hand-me-down tradition that we receive from our parents or that we receive from our grandparents or someone who we know and we love and we trust. Um, some view our faith as just kind of wishful thinking. You know, Austin that we just saw in that video, um, Austin's serious. We've had some conversations even since that panel where he has told me, Sean, I want to believe that there's a God. I just have a really hard time making that step of faith. And so he looks at our faith as some kind of hopeful optimism that something out there does exist. Caroline was the same way. 
Some people believe that in order to be a follower of Jesus, um, you just have to take some kind of blind leap of faith off of an intellectual cliff. You just have to check your brain at the door and say, yeah, now the intellectual side of me, I'm just going to set that right here and I'm going to come and and worship Jesus. And before I present some of the reasons that I believe point to the existence of God, very compelling reasons, I feel, um, I want to first talk about one answer that won't work very well with people who are skeptical about our belief. In fact, it's guaranteed uh, to get an eye roll every time, and it's the old cliche, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, I want to tell you, for those who are faithful followers of Jesus, that's a faithful answer, but it's not going to fly with people who are skeptical about our faith. It's not. And, And the truth is, if we want to help our friends with their doubts and their questions, then we need to start where they are, not where we are. We have faith in what the Bible says, to be true and accurate and errant, and that we can place our faith and our trust in that. Someone who's skeptical about God, they're not coming from that place. And there's going to be a time in the relationship where, yes, we do need to proclaim the truth of Scripture to them, but but we need to start where they are, not where we are. So we're going to be looking at a few reasons tonight why we can be confident that God exists. Um, and and the, the first reason is this. The beginning of the universe points us to a God as the originator. The beginning of the universe points us to a God as its originator. The first reason that we can believe in God is based on the, the, the branch of science called cosmology. Not cosmetology. Um, that's the study and application of beauty treatment. Uh, but cosmology is the study of the origin, structure, and development of the physical universe. Now, I told you this is going to be heady stuff. Listen, that's going to be my best joke of the night, all right? So if you didn't laugh at that one, it's only going downhill from there. (laughs) So cosmology asks the question, does God exist? Or or does everything that we see in this universe, is this, is the material universe all that is, all that was, and all that ever will be? Uh, it, which is a famous question that Carl Sagan asked in his book and TV series, Cosmos. Is this it? Like this material world, is this all that was, is, and ever will be? And as believers, we actually have a very compelling reason to the existence of God and a very compelling answer to this question. It's called the cosmological argument. And it goes like this. Number one. Whatever begins to exist has a cause, meaning that something or someone caused it to exist. Whatever begins has a cause. The universe began to exist, number two. And then number three, therefore, you know, as a conclusion of these first two points, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Number three, therefore, the universe has a cause. Something or someone made it exist. Now, let's break this down a little bit. And, and while I do, uh, I want to leave these up on the screen just so that we can continue to, to reference these things. So let's say that you are walking down the Milwaukee Trail. Uh, it, it's going to be warming up here pretty soon, and so some of us may start to venture out again. And we, we're walking down the Milwaukee Trail, and, and as you're on your little stroll, you look out into the woods. 
And there in the middle of the woods is this giant, perfectly rounded, smooth, 10-foot glass sphere. Now, your first thought might be something like this. I wonder who put that there? Or why did somebody put that, that big glass ball right in the middle of the woods? Now, I can almost guarantee that your first thought would not be, wow, look at that perfectly rounded, giant, smooth, 10-foot glass sphere that just popped out of nowhere, right? You wouldn't think that. Why is that? It's because we know that things don't just pop into existence. In fact, science itself operates under the principle that every event requires a cause. Even Albert Einstein once said that the scientist is possessed by a sense of universal causation, meaning that scientists are obsessed with finding out not just why something exists, but why is it here? Why does it exist? And an, object, an objection sometimes comes back to this. Well, if, if everything that exists needs a cause, um, then who caused God? You know, this is kind of phrased in that question. If God created everything, where did God come from? Um, if everything that exists has a cause, then what caused God? But the misunderstanding, uh, this is kind of a misunderstanding of the argument. Because it doesn't say that everything needs a cause, only everything that has a beginning needs a cause. And since God is eternal and had no beginning, then God needs no cause. Nor does he have a cause for his existence. The second part of the cosmological argument is that the universe began to exist. Whatever begins to exist has a cause, and the universe began to exist. Now, this is fascinating to me. Because scientists have only recently come to the conclusion that as Christians, we've held on to for centuries. That the universe came into existence. Cosmologists refer to this as the, the Big Bang. Even Stephen Hawking, the popular author and physicist and atheist, he, Stephen Hawking is um, to atheism what Billy Graham is to Christianity. He, he said this in his book, The Nature of Space and Time. He said, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Now, some of you may remember when this idea of the Big Bang kind of came into existence. And, and at first, a lot of Christians acted kind of negatively towards this and said, I don't believe in the Big Bang. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. But, but what if in discovering the Big Bang, scientists actually discovered how God made all of this happen? What if they just discovered the, 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 the proof and, and the truth of Genesis chapter 1? That in the beginning... God created. The third part of the cosmological to exist has a cause, has something or someone that made it happen. The universe began to exist, which nearly every scientist agrees on, regardless of faith. Then it only stands to reason that the universe has a cause. The Big Bang itself requires an outside, not, outside of the physical universe um, cause to it. So from the Christian point of view, the Big Bang sounds an awful lot like a compelling reason for the creation account. To believe that in the beginning, God created everything. That's why people like Einstein and other scientists initially resisted this idea of the Big Bang because they didn't like some of the things and the conclusions that people would come to. 
they couldn't deny the scientific evidence of it, this event, and so they eventually had to just say, yeah, we believe that this is what happens. The evidence led them to believe this, and so we need to follow that evidence as well, and it leads us to the existence of God. And so we see from this first argument that in spite of what a lot of people say, science is not at odds with belief in God. In fact, science, in a lot of ways, supports the idea and belief in God. I had a, a friend in Rhode Island. Um, he served in uh, the, the biology department at Brown University. Um, very smart, intellectual man, had written many papers, highly respected in his field. And he was a firm believer in God. He said, Sean, everything that I see in existence and in creation points to a creator. And that's really the second reason that we can be confident that God exists. And so the fine-tuning in the universe points us to God as the fine-tuner. Here's what's amazing about all of this. The evidence shows that the beauty and the complexity and even life itself did not just spring into existence all by itself. Rather, science is now telling us that all of this was formed and created and finely tuned. It appears to be precisely balanced and fine-tuned to allow the existence of life to flourish. For example, if the explosion in the Big Bang had differed in strength by as little as one part in 10 to the 60th power, or one followed by 60 zeros, life itself would not be possible in this universe. And the list goes on and on. Dr. Robert Collins illustrates it by this way. He talks about the chances of everything being as fine-tuned as it is. This is what he says. He says, let's say you were out in space and we're going to throw a dart at a random spot towards Earth. It would be like successfully hitting the bullseye that is one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter that is less than the size of one solitary atom. To me, that absolutely screams that there is an intelligent designer who finally tuned this universe to exist. Even Dr. Paul Davis, the leading um, physicist, cosmetologist, and no, cosmetologist, see? I knew I was going to say it. Cosmologist and atheist of our day, he sent to be here. That's an amazing statement for someone who has no faith in God. And it points us to, to something that as believers we have known all along. Isaiah 40 puts it like this. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all of the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. A third argument, and this is one that relates to our everyday lives in a powerful way. Reason number three is our sense of morality points us to a God as our moral lawgiver. And to help us understand this a little bit more, I have a, a video here. Let's check this out. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? 
question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint, this kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed His moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in His command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high-fidelity recording. Without your love. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong. Human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, oh. our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, Hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice, you affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination, and terrorism are wrong for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. What all this amounts to then is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, Objective moral values and duties do not exist. But 
objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. I find that argument absolutely fascinating. That because we know that there is a objective morals, um, it points to a moral lawgiver. I believe that that helps us see the existence of God. There's so much more that we could say about all of this, but the evidence in these three arguments alone point us strongly towards the existence of God. They point us to a God who started this immense universe with a bang. A God who fine-tuned that universe to extremely precise tolerances so it would support life, including yours and mine. A God who is perfectly good and who created us with a deeply embedded sense of morality. But there's one final argument that I want to look at tonight, and it's this. Our personal experiences point us to a God who is worthy of our worship. And we looked at some pretty heady evidences today. But there's a more personal response for those of us who are followers of Christ that we can give. We can look another person in the eye and we can say, how do I know God exists? Because he changed my life. He changed my life when I put my trust in him, and he often leads me towards making important decisions. He's active in my life. I can sense him. I can know that he's near. He points me in the right direction. He leads me away from the wrong. He's living, and he's active in my life. God loves me, and I love him. Reminds me of the words of the old hymn, You Ask Me How I Know He Lives. He lives within my heart. And that is something that we can tell people and we can show them in the way that we live. A genuine, personal experience with the Lord is hard to dismiss. One of my heroes of the Bible uh, is, is a man in John chapter 9. We don't even know his name. He was a blind man who was healed by Jesus. And the man didn't know a whole lot about theology, philosophy. He didn't know a whole lot about science. Honestly, he didn't even know a whole lot about Jesus, who he was, where he came from, where he went. He didn't know how to answer all of the questions about Jesus that people were asking him. And yet he boldly proclaimed, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. There's a lot that I don't know. But one thing I do know is that Jesus has changed my life. And maybe you have one of those stories too. I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know is I once was addicted, and now I've been set free. I once was a miserable grump that nobody wanted to be around. But now there's joy in my heart because of Jesus. We all have that before and after story that we can point to. 
This guy, he didn't have all the answers, but he knew that Jesus had done something in his life. And so if you're a Christian, even just talking about God's influence on your life can, can make a powerful impact on those who are living far from him. But remember this, as Christians, we not only have our experiences with God to prove that he is real, we also have science and philosophy on our side too. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, we even have history that supports our claim as well. And all of these things, they point to the existence of an invisible God, one who fits the biblical description of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and each one of us who are followers of Jesus. He is the God who creates, he is the God who loves, and he is the one who is worthy of our worship. And so if you're a Christian, you can stand confidently in these truths, and if you're not, then I invite you to look at them seriously. And follow the evidence wherever it may lead. And I'm convinced that it will lead not only to belief in God, but also faith in Jesus. Would you stand with me as I close this off in prayer? Father, there's a lot of evidence in this world that points to you as the divine cause of all things. The one who fine-tuned this world um, precisely so that life as we know it can exist. The one who set a moral law inside of each one of us that guides us and not only points us in the ways that are right, but, but also when we break it, point us to our need for a savior. And you have done some great things in our life. We could stand here all night testimony after testimony of what you have done in the lives of just the folks who are here in this place tonight. And so God, I pray um, that our faith in you, uh, that, that we'll learn truly what it means to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And I pray that as we do that, that we will teach others how to do the same. So, Father, thank you for all the signs, all the clues that you left in this world um, that point towards your existence. And, and I pray that we will live boldly in the truth of that as we leave here tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.